Does he go to the outside? He's gonna have to. Here he goes. And he's in the wall. Opens the door up for the water watch today. And on the outside, Kyle Larson added. Oh my gosh! How about you, Ross Chastain? Ross is the boss of Talladega. Ross just kept it straight. Everyone else went everywhere. Well, he was able to. The five move, making that move to the outside, getting the big block by Eric Jones. Awesome reaction. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Flag Hunting Podcast, episode 29. Uh, as yeah, you just heard the uh, the NASCAR intro segment there, which can only mean one thing, Chris. Clicho, his third outright of the flag hunting era, 33 to one on Ross Chastain, uh, three flying everywhere for uh, for flag hunting this week. So man, take us through those last few laps. Crazy, crazy finishes. We always get a Talladega, but yeah, man, I want to hear uh, I want to hear the first day of the count. How was how was your Sunday night? It's pretty good. Yeah, I'd say it's pretty good. Uh, it's always good when you hit a winner, but yeah, it felt um it felt good to finally get one. It felt even better that the fact that we had, I think for at one point coming to the finish there, we had like four guys in the top five, I think on our outright card. Um, so I felt pretty good. I mean, you never feel, you can never feel ultra confident, you know, at super speedway because yeah. as you can see, anything can happen. And then, um, you know, I felt really good about Eric Jones coming down the stretch. I know, you know, you also had a personal ticket on him as well. So um, yeah, he looked like he was, you know, right there for the win. All he just keep that bottom line. And I think he would have won it. Uh, I think what's funny about that that uh, intro is if you listen to Mike Joy, I think Mike Joy actually thought Larson was going to win that race because he's like, Larson up high. Oh, Chastain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like all those Kentucky Derby finishes where, like, the guy comes out of nowhere and the, the announcers aren't even prepared for who the horse is. Um, I remember it happened, like, back a long time ago with a big 40 to 1 long shot, mind that bird, if anyone's into horse racing. I distinctly remember that one, like, being one of the worst calls. Uh, of like horse fishing history because like these people had no idea who the horse that was like actually winning the race was at the end um but yeah just uh just ridiculous and you know we, we've been saying it for for weeks now you know we've come on this podcast lamenting uh some poor luck on the last few turns and yeah i mean ross got it done there and uh yeah it, it did not look likely there at least at least not for the 30 to one the 50 to one or the 66 to one Eric jones uh was was certainly in play there the trial and then when Larson went high, you expect the worst, like you said, and then um, they kind of got into each other's way and, and enabled Chastain to kind of, I mean, he, he said himself, he didn't really do anything. He just kind of, he kept driving straight and uh, everyone got out of the way for him. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Chris, uh, two for two on super speedways, man. And we talked about the scatter shot method last week. And uh, again, like you said, uh, even with some bad luck with, with Stenhouse and, um, you know, with the Keselowski live at that we had, that he had two speeding penalties, you know, it felt like, Things was kind of slipping away there, but yeah, just goes to show anything can happen to super speedways, and you know you had your your card pretty well set there at the end. So um, yeah, anything uh, anything you, you want to add? Anything surprise you about the super speed about the uh, Talladega? Anything else? Um, yeah, I guess, I guess in general, um, you know, I felt really good about this card coming in. I I do think we had a lot of good players get screwed early. You know, like Ty Dillon obviously had a good card. Both those. Petty GMS cars looked really good, and he got screwed, you know, by the Lagana wreck. Obviously, we also had Lagana on the card, so that was a two-for-one special with both of them being wrecked out in the same uh, same crash. You know, Busher out with issues. Bubba was had a great car all day, and just for some reason fell back uh, right there the last few laps. Um, I guess my overarching thoughts tell it overall very good race, I think. And as you can see by Jeff Gl- uh, Jeff Gluck's poll this week, I think it has like an 87% yes rating for it was it a good race poll, which is good. Yeah. But I honestly, I don't know if I expected it to be that high because normally at Talladega you see like three lanes, and we mainly only saw two lanes the entire race. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it was still good racing. Yeah. Um, but it's just it's interesting, it's interesting how that all played out. Yeah. Also really interesting was, I mean, it, it's it's crazy that it feels like the last, I mean, month at least, like even more than that, we've kind of seen overtime, like a fight, like a caution at the very end um, of a race. And like you, you know, having all those tickets there at the, at the top of the pack, you know, you're just kind of expecting something to go wrong. I mean, Eric Jones, I mean, he almost wrecked like three or four times those last yeah. like five or 10 laps uh, trying to get pushed up there by Byron in the top lane. But yeah, I just, I was just stunned that like nothing went wrong. Like it, it, it actually ended um, in regulation there. Cause you know, you think about Talladega, I mean, you think about restrictor plays, super speedways in general, like you just, you always expect that like last like caution, everyone's fighting for position. Um, so yeah, to see Ross take the checker, uh, with no yellow, uh, on the last lap was, was really a big relief for, for both of us. So, um, yeah. Big win for Ross. I mean, at what point, at what point do we start considering him for championship odds? Because I know, I know people listening right now are probably like, really, like you're going to bring this up, like Ross the champion, but I mean, come on, like he's one at road course and super speedway now. I mean, what does yeah. he have left? He's got a what, short track and an intermediate before he gains everyone's respect. I mean, that, that track house team definitely has some speed this year. It's without a doubt. I think, I think, I think Ross is going to be a serious challenger here come come year in. I don't know if he's a top four quite yet, but I think I think he's going to be someone that's going to be really hard to contend with. He leads he leads the uh, Cup Series with the most top fives right now this year. Yeah, I was about to say it's not like it's not like just um, I'm trying to think of a golf correlator here, like uh, a Patrick Reed scenario where the guy finishes like 45th like every other week and then he just pops up with a win every now and again. Like Chastain's been there. Like it seems like every single week. To your point. He's currently nine to one, tied with Denny Hamlin ahead of Ryan Blaney, Joey Logano, Martin Truex uh, for a championship. So he's, I think, fifth in line uh, in terms of the book we're looking at in terms of championship odds. So, yeah, that's uh, that's something I don't think we. I'd be really curious to see his like preseason odds. Like if anyone's sitting on, like a eighty to one preseason Ross Chastain ticket, gotta be going pretty crazy right now. But yeah, not only just the road course win and the, and the super speedway win, but I th- if if memory serves, he was right there at Sonoma Auto Club. Um, you know, there's been. Pure consistency, yeah, the whole year. Exactly. Like I'm, I'm not sure where he is on points right now, but it's, it's got to be pretty high. Even without the two wins, he, he would be right there. I think. I feel like I don't have this on 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 hand right now. I'll try to pull it up real quick. But I think I actually saw that he he somehow dropped in points this week after winning. <laughs> what? Um, but I mean, he's still like a top like five or six guy. But yeah, I saw it was weird. He somehow like lost a spot despite winning. That is insane. Yeah, NASCAR needs to amend their. Uh, their point allocation if uh, a guy wins and goes backwards. I, under, I understand stage points are important, leading laps is important, but you know these guys all uh, all are there for one reason at the end of the race. So um, yeah, he is he is currently ninth in points, and he did drop a spot. Larson jumped up two spots this week, and he jumps he jumped both Truex and Chastain. Mm-hmm. So so Truex and uh, Chastain obviously dropped two spots, but yeah. Kind of kind of crazy how that how that happens. And then you've got Blaney and Elliott up top with no wins, but they're leading the points. Yeah, it's, just, it's weird that. how the points are are shaking out this year. Speaking of those, speaking of the names that you just mentioned, I mean, we talked about a lot about last week the marquee names that were kind of priced down at super speedways didn't have the track history. Truex was on the front row, I believe, to start, led a few laps in that race, and then Larson was right there till the end. It's just amazing how like how it levels the playing field so much. Like. I don't know when the next Daytona race is, but I mean, like, they're just got to price everyone like fifteen to one at this point. Like, who who fucking knows who's going to win the next one? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see uh, 
Daytona again in July. Um, I'm not sure when the next. I think actually the Atlanta race went before that, um, which is you know the quasi super speedway right now. Um, but yeah, it's it's crazy that the three guys that I think most people were trying to fade last week were Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson, Martin Truex, and all three of them finished in the top six. I think top five or top six. Yeah, um, Bush should have finished seventh, but that's that's a story for another day. <laughs> Wally pipped our six to one Truex top Toyota bit. But, yeah, right. Um, but yeah, just just insane. Like I, I, I'm honestly like I don't envy you next time we go to one of these because like God knows what's gonna happen, and uh, hopefully they keep uh, giving us some good drivers at thirty three to one and, and twenty five to one, so we can uh we can keep picking them off. But uh, yeah, I would not uh, envy the, any bookmaker trying to make Daytona odds next next uh, next time around or Talladega odds because yeah, I mean like legit everyone was in the mix. It felt like I mean how many drivers do you think at some point had a like had a legit chance to win that race. Like the Hendrick guys were a dominating, obviously the Penske guys, uh, the Joe Gibbs guys, obviously, you know, Chastain, the Petty GMS. Um, like it felt like just, there was like 10 different stages of that race where different teams were kind of right there dominating. Uh, even Suarez got, got up there and was in the mix and was leading that race for a little while. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, but that's what we love. I mean, that's why, oh, that's yeah. what makes these races so fun is because, you know, it puts everybody in the mix really. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't see any reason to change the approach at this point. I mean, if anything, we'll be firing more bullets and less props because our prop car got absolutely shot on. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think I think it'd be more fun to uh, to throw like a like a ten units on outrights for super speedways, mm-hmm. play some play some fun like long shot props Shocks. maybe like kind of like the MTJ Top Toyota Plus Six Hundred something like that or like a you know. You know, like we had a Ty Dillon top like 10, 10 for plus yeah. 225, but if we found something even deeper than that, like I think Corla Joey, we could have got for like plus 400 top 10 or something like that. You know, something yeah. like that. Just play like some fun props and just, you know, we have a good tracker. Why not? Why not make it a little fun? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, to your point, Dega is not the place you want to be sweating a minus 110 because yeah. it's just like one, one like mil- split second, like you're basically great and then it's just dead, you know? Yeah. So it's it's almost like the, the TBC Sawgrass of of NASCAR you guys going along great oh he's in the water he's gonna make a triple bogey and you're just like fucked so um yeah with that being said man up up 15 units for the year we're free rolling now heading into uh the monster mile uh at Dover um yeah I know this is uh this is an intermediate track obviously my or I guess it's still considered an intermediate right I'm not sure what the semantics on that are but um yeah maybe a bit more of a turn to normalcy when it comes to the odds board a little bit so maybe use that you know if I have money to have a couple marquee names here at the top but we'll go over that in a second i'll let chris kind of get to his uh course overview here uh at dover yeah so uh we're heading to dover delaware for the duramax dryden 400 um yeah you entered it really well there it's a mile um intermediate oval um however from a uh data standpoint it um this is from i fantasy racing i think i brought this up just about every episode but he likes to correlate data to see which tracks kind of look um similar from a data standpoint he actually puts in his notes to not compare anything to Darling to uh sorry to Dover I keep saying Darlington to Dover um Dover is to be used as kind of a unique track but if you did want to pull in some secondary tracks you could put pull in Darlington um and he even did mention Bristol and you're probably thinking why Bristol well the other statistic about this track is it's a steep banking low to mid mid tire wear track so it's one of the steepest intermediate tracks you're going to see on the turn so that's why Bristol kind of comes into play um so yeah, I chose to not use Bristol though. I just I didn't really. I think out of the ten stats I'm using here, 
I think like seven of them are Dover stats. Only two of them are Darlington stats. And then I'm bringing in some current current year data to kind of bring in the next gen data as well. So yeah, obviously just as just as normal as you'll hear every week, I got the driver rating and the average finish at Dover in the last. Uh, it's actually five races this time because they only went there once last year. Um, we got the average finish at Dover over the entire career. We have driver rated and average finish at Darlington over the six races, last six races. Average speed at Dover over the last four races. Um, Dover green flag speed last year. And then we got total speed 2022 and the average finish and driver rating over the last six races this year in 2022. So those are the 10 metrics I'm bringing in here. Um, yeah, there was a pretty overwhelming number one. It's Kyle Larson. Yeah. At number one, uh, two, three, I'll read two through five. Martin Truex at number two, Kevin Harvick, number three, William Byron, number four, Joey Logano, number five. Um, so, yeah, there's a you, you're probably surprised by two and three there, but I think four and five were not surprising to me. And then obviously we have Alex Bowman, Chase Elliott at seven. Yeah. Uh, if you remember from last year or if anyone back, went back and watched, Hendrick finished one, two, three, four in this race last year. Absolutely yeah. dominated. Uh-huh. Um, so there's a reason why those guys are all t- towards the top. This is actually one of Alex Bowman's best tracks, so that'd be something to to keep an eye on. Um, he yeah. did win this race last year, so yeah, something to something to watch here as we as we hit some of these uh, metrics here. But um, yeah, from the odds market, um, I've got two outrights placed right now, and then I do have two that I'm kind of pending in the prop market. Um, but as of right now, currently I've only got seven units invested, so I got still plenty of room before we come come around to Sunday. I do kind of want to wait and see kind of what practice and qualifying looks like on Saturday morning before kind of finishing out this card. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, with that, we'll go ahead and get to the odds board. And to Chris's point, it was the Hendrick track last year, last year, reason odds from DraftKings Sportsbook here. Uh, and DK has uh, paid the due respect to the 400 drivers here at the very top of the board. They're the only four drivers underneath 12 to 1. Uh, to Chris's point, Kyle Larson, kind of the uh, the consensus favorite this week, is 4.5 to 1 as an outright You've got his teammates, William Byron and Chase Elliott, both at 9-1, to one, and then Alex Bowman at uh, 10-1. to one. The first time we really seen Alex Bowman be in this kind of this top tier. Uh, but to Chris's point, one of his better tracks defending champion makes a lot of sense. So, um, yeah, are you – I mean, this is this is tough because you obviously don't want to fade Hendrick after their 1-2-3-4 performance last week uh, or last year. But uh, surely going to be um, – yeah, it's going to limit your budget just a little bit if you if you go to the top. So do you – do you envision yourself kind of hitting the top hard, or are we going to kind of go further down the uh, the board here past 10 to 1? Um, we're going to go further down. We're not going to go much further down. So the two hours I do have are going to be in this next range you're going to bring up. Um, okay. But um, I I do not blame anybody for, to, for betting this top four. Um, of the last 10 races here, Chevy's won four of the 10. Um, Toyota's won four of the 10, and, Toyota's, or, uh, and uh, Ford has only won two of the 10. So there is an even mix, but Chevy has been more predominant late. And then Chevy has been very predominant very early on. If you if you stretch this back to 20, the last 20 races, I think Chevy has like 13 of the 20. So it's a very Chevy-dominated track. Um, obviously, we saw, like I said, what happened last year. So I would not blame anybody for going for one of these top four. But like you said, just to get the value for the buck, I did go just a little bit tad further down here um, and kind of use my model as my as my basis. Okay, fair enough. So maybe uh, a little bit of fade of the last year. You know, maybe the odds books are maybe paying a little bit too much attention to uh, the 2021 event. We're looking a little bit longer term here. So we'll go. Yeah, Chris is Chris is uh, kind of teased it. So we'll just move on to the 12 to ones. There are five guys that I'm looking at at 12 to one. I'm sure uh, Chris has got interested in at least one of them. Uh, we got Ryan Blaney and Joy Logano, the Penske teammates, both at 12 
And then two Joe Gibbs guys, Truex and Hamlin at 12, and then Kevin Harvick at 12 to 1, which is, uh, again, much like Bowman, not a um, an odds raise you tend to see Kevin Harvick, but he was top five in your model. I'm sure you've got some interest, but uh, Penske Gibbs or Stuart Haas, what's, uh, which direction are we going here at 12 to 1? Yeah, so we got two in this range. We're going one Toyota and one Ford, um, but we're not going to Penske. We're going to Stuart Haas. We're going to Kevin Harvick, like you just mentioned, and we're going to Martin Church Jr. for Gibbs. So... Two guys at 12 to okay. 1, two and a half units each. That's the five units I normally invest towards um, their outrights these days. But yeah, these are my two outrights this week. Going, it's the old guy week. It's, it's the week of the old guys. We're gonna we're banking on one of these guys who has a great pedigree that's tracked. See if we can catch a little value below the below the top of the board, and see if we can catch one. But yeah, let me read both of their results here. I'm gonna kind of hit them both. Kind of, they're very very similar this track. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. of his last five results: 19th, second, 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 first. And then Kevin Harvick's last five, sixth, first, fourth, fourth, fourth. So both of them very much in the mix. Uh, for Martin Truex Jr., you heard the 19th that I said from last year. He did start on the pole last year, had a pit issue at the end of stage one, where the lug nut actually fell off and interfered with the jack man. So the jack got stuck, and it ruined his whole day. He ended up he ended up coming back out of, out of the pits uh, like 15th or something like that, and then struggled handling the rest of the day and was never able to recover. So... Uh, you know, it could have been easily another top three, top five day for Martin Truex if it wasn't for a pit pit road blunder there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, as far as Martin Truex Jr. goes here, third in average finish and third in driver rating at Dover in the last five races. He's got three wins, nine, nine top fives, 18 top tens in his career. He's third in lap led, third in laps led at Dover among all active drivers in his career. And he's obviously, like I mentioned earlier, second in my model and fifth amongst the odds board. So one of the guys that came out is that positive variance there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to move over to Kevin Harvick, again, very similar. Second average finish, second driver rating at Dover over the last five races. Three wins, 10 top fives, 22 top tens in his career. And over the last 10 years at Dover, I think I mentioned this earlier, Ford has only won twice in the last 10 races at Dover. Both of those times was Kevin Harvick for the Fords. So. Okay. Yeah, uh, he was third in my model, um, also fifth on the odds board, obviously. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think it's it's pretty easy to 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 kind of tab these guys out as the guys I was going to lean towards here. Um, I did expect to actually bet Bowman coming into the week, mm-hmm. uh, but ten to one was just a little too much. I think if Bowman was twelve to one with these guys, he probably would have been on this card as well. But we had to go, we had to we had to dig a little deeper. So, yeah, as of right now, those are my only two outrights. So. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, or uh, maybe for those those of us like me that may prefer outrights to props sometimes and like that uh that added uh, upside, you know, maybe shop around. You know, you never know. You can maybe find Bowman at, at a twelve to one that uh can match up with the with the other two guys we have. So yeah, Truex and Harvick. We've been on the Harvick bandwagon for kind of the whole year. I feel like we've been on a bit of an island. Or I'll say you've been on a bit of an island by yourself, considering you do all the analysis for NASCAR uh on this program. But yeah, it it would be only fitting for everybody kind of hit a Harvick win after kind of taking some slack from a couple of the guests we've had on this podcast <laughs> when, uh, when touting Harvick. So uh, yeah, he's, he's somehow turned into our boy um, on this podcast. So, all right. Yeah. So Kevin Harvick and Truex at 12 to one are Chris's main bets for the week. Uh, as far as an outright perspective goes, this is um yeah, we'll kind of go further on the board and see if you have interest in these guys from a prop perspective, they stuck out to you in a model um, in either direction in whether it's a, a play or a fade in terms of matchups, head to heads, um, you know, top 10s, top five. So we'll kind of go through the odds board here. Kyle Busch, 
uh, lands at 14 to one. Ross Chastain at 16. Tyler Reddick at 16. And we'll go to Chase Briscoe as well at 20 to one. Uh, kind of this mid to late teens to early 20s. Uh, Bush, Chastain, Reddick, Briscoe. You have any interest in this range or uh, are the prices a little bit too uh, too steep here? No, you know, I actually genuinely do like this range. Um, obviously, mainly in the Ross and Todd Reddick uh, range there. Um, not sure that I see enough to go Kyle at 14. Chase Briscoe, Chase Briscoe at 20 is actually not, is not bad. Um, yeah. It's just the thing that's been so difficult with him all year is that his nothing's nothing's like he's never going to stand up my model because none of his stats really were good last year. So right. it's so hard to tab him. It's just it's like you just kind of have to bank on what you've seen so far this year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, he's ninth in total speed in 2022. So I, I can make an argument. He's he is pretty good at Darlington and that is a second secondary metric. But as far as Dover goes, he had a 27th, 27th in driver rating last year, 32, 32nd average finish. Uh, couldn't pull the trigger on him. Kind of similar with Ross. It's very similar where it's it's just hard to pull the trigger. Yep. Um, his stats just don't lie out. Now Tyler Reddick, on the other hand, um, he was 12th in my model. Um, so he's he wasn't you know far up the board, but 12th in my model would have ranked him more in more in like the 25, 20 to 20, 20 to 25 range. Um, so as much as I really wanted him to be my my second click rather than going two guys towards the top, um, I just I couldn't quite get around with it. But I think. I think he will be on the card in some form or fashion in the prop market. Um, actually, him and Austin Dillon both. I think Austin Dillon's a little more interesting from an outright number. Austin Dillon's at 50 to 1, and yeah. he's only at 14th, two spots behind Reddick in my model. Um, I mean, he's got a driver rate. He's 14th in driver rating over, uh, over the last five races, 12th in average finish. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Darlington's kind of similar. He's 8th in average finish, 15th in driver rating at Darlington over the last six races. His average... Green, green average green flag speed at Dover over the last four races is tenth. Um, yeah, so I think I, I think Austin Dillon is very much in play, um, either from an outright perspective or a prop. He is one of the guys I do have a prop on currently. Um, he's plus one seventy five for a top ten. That almost feels like a like a lock. I mean, it, it just feels like it feels like we should jump on that earlier rather than later before those odds change. Um, I'm, I was kind of surprised to see him at plus money, to be honest. Okay, yeah, jump on that. We're uh... You know, fading Chevy at the top of the board, but getting some exposure here uh, for RCR there, Reddick and Dillon. Uh, yeah, to your point about Briscoe, yeah, it's always tough considering, like, it's it's a bit of, like, the sunk call fallacy because, you know, he was at 50. He was in the Austin Dillon range earlier this year. Then he, he wins at, was it Auto Club that he won? I'm sorry. Or Phoenix. Who did you say? Briscoe? Um, yes, Briscoe. Yeah, it's Phoenix. Phoenix, yeah. He won at Phoenix, and now he's, you know, with the the main stage of the sport, you know, so in kind of a weird way, you kind of want to maybe to have a couple <laughs> down weeks so maybe yeah. we can get that. Cause it seems like the underlying numbers support him breaking out. It's just like, it's so tough to click uh 20 to one when you, you got double the number just a few weeks ago, but all right. Yeah. So um, yeah, we'll go and move on into the 25 to one range. I know Dover's not typically attract these, these kind of short intermediates and intermediates. They're not typically tracks. We like to go too far down the board, Uh, but just for, uh, just for discussion's sake, we've got, Chris Ravel at 25 to 1. Uh, Daniel Suarez at 40. Brad Kozlowski at 40. Kurt Busch at 50. Austin Dillon at 50. And we'll throw in Austin Sindrick at 60 to 1, um, which always catches my eye. I'm like the biggest sucker for like <laughs> name brand, like uh, good, te- like top four team, just the, the weakest link, quote unquote, on that team as far as the odds boards go. So talk me either on or off the ledge for, uh, for Austin Sindrick there at 60 to 1, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um... 
this is tough because again, Austin Cedric is a guy that in a lot of these models that I build, I don't have any data to go off of from a cup standpoint. So um, if I was just showing my screen right now, there's just a giant red red line across my Excel spreadsheet <laughs> because yeah. the, the, the formula is not picking anything up because the formula is not finding anything. Um, so it's always hard to project, you know, Cedric, but, um, and I'm trying to scramble to find it real quick, but there was a post earlier today of um, extending numbers last year for some of these guys and uh, both Cindric and Harrison Burton were like top five in both like green flag speed. And I think total speed at uh, Dover last you year. You want me to read your office results at Dover over the last three years? Yeah, let's hear it. So he won in the Xfinity series last year in Dover third, second, sixth, ninth, last five starts at Dover. Yeah. I mean, so uh, I know it's Xfinity and obviously, you know, he's a bit, he was a bit, you know, uh, big, a bit of a, bigger fish in a smaller pond over there. Um, but 61, that's kind of intriguing. Maybe not from an outright perspective. Like you said, you expect it to be pretty top heavy. Uh, it's tough. It's going to be tough to beat these guys at the top with the Hendrick and Joe Gibbs guys and Stuart Haas guys. But um, maybe something to think about if you want to, you know, play a little Dylan Sendrick uh, top 10, something like that. Yeah, I think, I think I'm more inclined to lean towards um, Suarez actually in this range. Okay. Um, just because, just because we've seen the speed, from Trackhouse this year, and Suarez has ran up front um, for a good bit of the races. Like you, met, like you said, we just we saw him up front at Dega. Um, yep. We've seen him up front at, at Coda before he had that um, issue. So, I mean, for a team that's actually crushing it right now, it's it can't all be Ross Chastain. I think at some point Suarez is going to turn it around. Um, you know, he didn't rate badly in my model. I think he's 20th in my model. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got an, he had an 18th driver rating over the last five races and a 17th average finish, um, ninth and average finish over his career. So, I mean, the stats, the stats kind of stick out here for Suarez. Yeah. I think, I think I fancy racing actually tweeted something out that this actually might be his best track statistically. Um, so yeah, I think, I think I'm more inclined to, to lean towards Suarez and that's another guy in the Chevy camp. So that's always, it's always a positive. Yeah, there you go. I wish that, I mean, I'm sure there are books that do do this, but as far as I can tell the books that I, I kind of uh, peruse around for the most of my day, uh, they don't really give you much variation as far as like NASCAR stage, uh, like wins or top fives or top tens. I think Suarez would be like the ultimate like stage one bet. He's like the Sebastian Munoz of uh of NASCAR because like the dude the dude goes out and like fires away like right off the bat. Like he's trying to win. He's trying to lead as many laps as early as possible as as uh as he can there to start these races because I feel like he's the ultimate guy. You tune in like 30 laps in when you just got off the golf course or home from the bar or whatever. And it's Suarez, like, in third place, like, behind, like, Larson and Blaney. Yeah. No, so. Yeah, for sure. It, and, I, I, you know, at some point, you just, you feel like he's going to, he's going to have, like, this breakout moment. Yeah. And, and, because, I mean, how does it feel like, <laughs> you know, it's always compared to, like, I mean, I guess it's a little different, because, like, F1, you always look at guys, you look at teammates, and they're practically running the same car. It's not exactly the same in Cup, even though they come out of the same shop, it's not the same car. But I mean, there's just there's no way that that the one car is is that much better than this 99. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I found the tweet for for Suarez. Um, he's got an 8.7 average finish and a result in the top 14 every race minus 2020, where he drove the number 96, and he was ninth last year. So there you go. Yeah, I think I think I think Suarez. I might be talking myself into like a prop player here for Suarez yeah. to be completely honest. Certain corollary. You're 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 giving the sell job and uh now you you're gonna you can't post the card without playing it. 
He's even money for top ten. Yeah, so um, yeah. Wonder if he has a wonder if he has a matchup. Brad Keselowski. I was so that was the segue I was gonna bring in. So we've obviously talked about we're bullish on you're bullish on Dylan, you're bullish on Suarez here in this forty to fifty sixty range. I obviously you know like Cindric because I'm a sucker um, and sentimental like that. But is there a guy kind of after twenty five to one that you just have no interest in? Let's fade him in matchups. Let's uh, you know just he's basically dead money. Do you see someone like that, or do we have to go maybe further down the board to uh, to really pick on guys? Um. I think purely off of Trek history, I was kind of in general going to fade forward in general this week, other than Harvick. Interesting. So um, I actually kind of had planned on, I guess a little spoiler alert, but I'm going to I'm going to be on um, Picks by Blaze Twitter show tomorrow night on on Twitter Spaces, um, and that was that was one I planned that was a point I planned on bringing tomorrow was uh, when he brings that featured matchup up with with Blaney in it, you know. Talk about how I'm, I'm fading Blaney. So, oh, actually, he's not in a feature matchup anymore. Why did I thought he was? But either way, I plan on bringing that up. Yeah, um, I was going to fade Blaney this week. There was there was some mention going around that um, Dover and Darlington both kind of line up similar to Richmond for Blaney. And as we all know, Richmond is one of Blaney's like worst tracks and one of his least favorites. What? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, that was a guy, especially at twelve to one, that I think was an easy fade for me. Yeah. Which is crazy to say, because I feel like we bet him every week. I was going to say, if Chris is fading Blaney, like, listen to him. Because this dude, <laughs> is, he wants a Blaney went so bad, you have no idea. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think, to to your point, like, when you look at course history at Dover, um, and this is, like, a complete amateur eye, so take for what's worth, but I do feel like it's one of those, like, eclectic tracks where I think you either have it here or you don't. Because I, I just, I don't see it, like, at least in my experience, like, when I've looking at like watching these races and uh you know and playing them on uh simulators or nascar uh, chase for the cup 2005 shout out ps2 um it was always like a track that really stood out to me to be like really different like it was like oh i'm going to dover like it's a different um just feel you know just that high banking it's like it's like almost a constant corner it feels like you really never um fully on the accelerator at least you know in my experience of uh of virtual racing <laughs> right uh, but, you know, like, I do feel like, you know, a lot of these tracks, uh, in my in my estimation, they kind of, a lot of these intermediates, they kind of drive the same. Like, there's not a ton of variation between a lot of these, like, mile and a halfs that we, we uh, race a lot. And Dover's is one of those tracks where I do feel like you can kind of look at course history or track history just because um, it is a bit of a an, an odd duck uh, in terms of, like, their NASCAR rotation, right? I mean, you can obviously... Uh, you guys to go against that if you uh, if you feel differently, but that's just my kind of um, just thought from like an hour outsider perspective. Yeah, no, no, you're you're 100 right. It's I think just kind of like what I said from the top with with how to run this model. It's it's hard to compare anything to it because it's, it's just a unique style. It's a very unique style. Um, but yeah, to get to go back to the Ryan Blaney point, I was just kind of doing some digging there while you were while you're talking about that. So over the last five races, Ryan Blaney's best finish um, is 12th worst finish is 35th over the last five races at at dover so not good now hey i'll give you uh three guesses to try to guess the top ford over the last five races that's not kevin harvick sorry did not kevin harvick named ford okay any ford any ford um i'm trying to think so stewart haas or penske 
so is it a, it's a driver currently in this field, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay. Um, so I was gonna say like Kenseth or something like that. Um, although he was a Joe Gibbs driver at the end. I'm gonna go with um. Go Chase Briscoe. Negative. You said negative, three guesses, negative. right? Yeah, I'll give you three. Okay. I mean, I I, I want to feel like it's at the top of the odds board, but the reason, like, you're – the fact that you made a big deal of it makes it think it's like <laughs> someone really down low. Is it Almirola? That's my guy. No, it's not. Okay. And then I, I guess um, that was, like, my one, like, eureka <laughs> moment. So this might be a bad guess. Um. It's, does Stenhouse even drive a Ford? No, he's Chevy. Oh, shit. Remember, okay. we were on last week. Remember, we had the full Chevy card? Very true. Very true. All right. I'll I'll, I'll take Kozlowski because it can't be Logano because you wouldn't be ask me the question. No, it's Colt Custer. Wow. Okay. I didn't even look at him. Where is he on the odds board? Oh, he's 101. So, just like Almirola. Over the last five races, Colt Custer is fifth in average finish. Um, He is... Oh, crap. Where'd he go? He is... What are you looking for? Hold on. Stay with me. 11th in driver rating. 11th in driver rating. Fifth in average finish. Second average finish over his career. So this is a really good track for Cole Custer. Um, yeah, so I've mentioned that I had two props that I've already clicked. This is the other one. Plus 200 for a top 10 for a guy that has an average finish currently at Dover of 10.3. I mean, yeah, come on. That's Easy go. money. Easy money. Mortgage play, says Chris Lee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we love that. All right, yeah, so it sounds like um, we're pretty dialed in as far as, like, the middle of the board and the prop market. We've got the two heavy hitters outrights. I'm liking the make of the cards so far. So, um, yeah, let's just run through kind of Chris's um, Chris's touts here so far on a Tuesday at uh, Tuesday evening on uh, with, with the race six days away. But we do have Truex. We have Harvick both at 12-1 to 1 as outrights uh, on the card. And then as far as his kind of touts in the middle of the board, Austin Dillon as a top 10 at plus 175. Cole Custer is a top 10 at plus 200. We're looking at Suarez. Um, I'll be looking at Cindric uh, in terms of uh, matchups and props. And, uh, yeah, fading uh, the Fords, fading especially Ryan Blaney. Um, and I forget who else we're, we're kind of fading here. But, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the uh, the rundown pretty much. I guess uh, a Reddick prop is, is definitely going to be in play. Maybe a Chastain or Briscoe prop as well. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned. Uh, I guess usually Friday night, Saturday afternoon, somewhere in there uh, when practice and qualifying results come out. That's when we'll kind of jump on these final few bets. But uh, yeah, looks like we got a really, really exciting card planned and it's always nice to uh, to free roll your way into the next event. So let's parlay some success here. Get get Chris two in a row here uh, as we uh, as we move on into the NASCAR season. So anything else you want to add, Chris, or should we uh, we should take it to uh, south of the border here? I think I think you pretty much hit it all. I mean, I guess the only thing that you pretty much mentioned a lot of the guys I'm kind of looking at for props, but uh, I guess one I normally do go back to the top of the board for at least a like top three or top five play. You yep. can pretty much bank that I'm gonna have a, a Chevy driver, or sorry, a Hendrick driver. Um, right. It'll probably be one of Bowman or or, or Byron. Okay. Uh, we'll see where that kind of lands, but yeah, a top three, top five bet on a, on a Hendrick driver probably feels like a pretty pretty certain prop that'll end up on the card to finish it out good deal yeah so yeah it'd, it'd be really it'd be a real shame if we uh <laughs> we go the whole hendrick fade they pull the one two three four thing again so yeah. yeah probably a smart call there just to just to hedge our bets just a little bit um right there okay yeah so we'll move on from the monster mile 
to south of the border, like I said, the 2022 Mexico Open uh, at Vedanta. Uh, Nuevo Vallarta, uh, Greg Norman designed 7,400-yard par 71. So this is, um, for those that don't know, this is the first uh, time we've ever been uh, to this particular course. We did hold the WGC Mexico just outside Mexico City at Chapultepec. Uh, but that was obviously a WGC, much bigger, much better field, uh, much more of a marquee event. This is still kind of feels like uh, we're sleepwalking a little bit after the Masters. Uh, we've got this, the Quail, or um, not Quail Hall. We've got this, the Wells Fargo, and the Byron Nelson before the PGA Championship. So expect to see some big names kind of come up next couple weeks as they ramp up for the year's second major. But uh, yeah, unfortunately for uh, for Mexico, this event kind of got screwed a little bit and put in the back burner when we get to the field. Uh, but it is kind of an interesting. Um, yeah, it's an interesting process for me considering we've never been here before. So we're kind of, we're kind of flying by to see that our pants, uh, there seems to be a bit of a consensus in the golf industry of what this uh, course is going to bring, um, and what this course is going to require. So I'm in large part agreeing with a lot of that. We'll kind of go over, um, the uh, ins and outs of what I've noticed from, uh, Vedanta Nuevo Vallarta so far. So, uh, first off, uh, like I said, 7,400 yard par 71, um, they, Lengthened the course, and they also took away two of the par fives. They took two very easy par fives, made them into uh, par fours, longer par fours. Uh, it's just a, a grander effort just to not make this course into like a minus 30 uh, birdie party. Like, um, like you know, we've seen kind of in the uh, in the fall swing early in 2022. Uh, the PJ Tour doesn't, you know, they tend to make a, a pretty concerted effort to, to toughen a lot of these courses up, especially a resort course like this. Um, the main thing you're going to be hearing a lot this week, this is wall-to-wall Paspalum services. Uh, so Paspalum is a kind of coastal tropical grass. It's a wide grain, uh, a wide blade grass. Uh, again, typically found in uh, the Caribbean, Central South America, um, due to its kind of natural resistance to heat and salt. So think like Cocoa Beach for the Puerto Rico Open, uh, Mayacoba, that's a fall event here in Mexico as well, and the Corrales in the Dominican Republic. Um, so as far as Paspalum, how Paspalum affects play, uh, again, it's a wider blade of grass, it's a hardier grass, so it typically makes for slower conditions, both on the greens and in the fairways. So we're thinking about limited rollouts on drives, um, slower and inherently flatter putts on the greens, because as greens get slower, uh, obviously the ball will be traveling. Uh, guys are going to have to hit it harder to obviously get to the hole, and with speed, as putt speed goes up, break goes down. The ball doesn't have near enough time to break, and so that's why, you know, if you play slower greens, typically you don't play enough as much break. You just typically have to try to ram it in the back of the hole. Um, and so, yeah, I'm looking for guys that's, again, with the limited roll on drive, similar to the Masters, looking for big-time carry uh, distance off the tee. And then guys that have had success on past palm greens or just slower greens in general. Um, because, like I said, it's it's kind of a specialty. We've seen guys pop up at at Puerto Rico, at Corrales, at Mycoba. Hovland's notably had success on past Palom uh, as a back-to-back winner there in, here in Mexico. But... Um, yeah, again, there's not a lot, there's not a lot of the sample size as far as past Palom goes, but we're, we are trying to kind of just piece together the, uh, the puzzle pieces here. Uh, what stuck to me, what stuck out to me on course overview. So I, I couldn't find the sites before we hit record, but I, I would love to credit them. I'm going to try and find it after the recording or credit them in the description. Uh, but it was something like fantasy golf, something. Um, they basically did a really, really cool article, um, in intro to this event, where they took basically a satellite view of the golf course and broke it down hole by hole. They had all the distances to uh, it, different fairway bunkers. They had hole distances. They had dog like right and left, obviously hazard right and left. And so 
it, got, it gave me a really, really good indication of what to look for and kind of what to expect. Um, and so what stuck out to me on course overview, it's number one, extremely forgiving fairways. I mean, some of the wider fairways I've really ever seen uh, on the PGA Tour and couple that with the fact there's not a ton of trouble. Now, there is water in play on like 13, I believe, of the 18 holes. But the thing is, even though there's water in play, it's only ever on one side. And the other side tends to have um, a pretty significant bailout area. So that's very, it's, yes, you have trouble to one side, but it's not exactly like a tight golf course, if you understand what I'm saying. So um, again, with um, with the wide fairways plus the past Palum grass, again, I don't expect these guys to be uh, in too much trouble at all off the tee. And with the limited rollout, I'm waiting distance far over accuracy. I think driving distance for me was uh, about a three to one um, correlation for me in, in terms of strokes getting off the tee. So I only waited typically in, on a given week. I'll wait driving uh, stats in general about a quarter, 25 percent of my total 100 percent allocation as far as uh, my model goes. But this week it was 20 percent driving distance, 5 percent uh, total driving. So I'm looking for bombers this week. Uh, we'll get to kind of the course um, breakdown as far as hole construction goes. But. Yeah, it's going to be, for me, I think Bombers are going to have a pretty big advantage. And we've seen that uh, at some of the corollaries. You know, Mayakoba, uh, Corrales, Cocoa Beach, all pretty, or actually the two in the Caribbean especially, Corrales and Cocoa Beach are both kind of 74, 7,500 yard uh, coastal courses on past Palom. And we've seen Bombers have a lot of success there. Uh, so if we go into the whole, whole breakdowns, uh, so there are five par threes in this golf course, uh, all, over 150, all over 170 yards. Uh, there are nine par fours, five of which are over 475, and there are four par fives, which measure from a very reachable 548 uh, to a very daunting 637. Uh, so that counts for 14 of the 18 holes, where these guys are likely going to have over 170, over 170 yards on approach. Um, so that being said, uh, not only is distance a big time factor, but I think long iron play is going to be a huge factor as well. So basically what it, what it boils down to for me this week Driving, can you hit the ball a long way in the air, and can you hit, can you hit an approach shot from 175 plus? That's basically it. Um, obviously, you know, course history at some of these Caribbean courses on past Palum helps a lot. Birdies are better gained, obviously helps a lot. Um, scoring stats like strokes gained par five, these longer par fours I'm looking at. Um, but again, short game, driving accuracy, neither of which really. Um, really hold much credence for me this week. We've seen on past Palum through the years, heck, Victor Hovland's won twice at Mayakoba. Um, and so because of the slower greens, you don't really have to be as precise uh, with your short game. And so these greens, I don't think will be hard to hit first off. And if you do miss them, I don't think the scrambling is going to be all that difficult. Number one, it's a resort course. So these, this course is made for 15 handicaps and just the dead on nature of the grass we're playing on uh, these slower services. I don't think it's going to be all that difficult uh, to get out of trouble when you are in when you do miss a green so uh for me yeah like i said i'm gonna keep it try to keep it as simple as possible kind of choose my lane if i'm dead wrong then so be it um but i i do have a pretty strong lean that it'll be distance guys it'll be guys that can hit some long irons well um and yeah we'll just see how it plays out and if we keep coming here you know we'll, we'll grow the sample size a little bit more but as far as just first time around uh that those are my key stats for the week gotcha so i know that you had some you had some uh, ideas of kind of where you wanted to go before the odds were posted. So I guess what was your, I currently, it's very rare that I don't know your card before we hit record. So yeah. um, I'm going to be learning this the same, same time listeners are. So 
I guess, how did you feel whenever the odds did drop? Did you, did you kind of feel conviction with what you came out with, or do you think you've got a real edge on the books this week? So I'll be honest, I, I kind of screwed up in terms of when odds dropped. So when odds dropped, I was actually super excited for this course because I, I did all my research on Sunday night because I was, you know, we were, all, we were riding the high from Talladega. I was out of the Zurich, so I didn't have to worry about watching the final round of that. So I was kind of doing my research in the background. Um, and so I, I, again, like my, my stance hasn't changed from Sunday night. I still think it's a bomber's paradise. I still think a long iron play is going to be super important this week. And so I had a few names picked out and I had guys that we'll talk about later. Woodland, Finau, Wise, Munoz. Those were all star. Those are kind of my four guys I really expected to be on this week and still could be on to, to be honest. Yes. I haven't shared my card. And the reason for that is like, it's not even like halfway done. Um, as it stands, I've made four bets. None of them are under 50 to one. So I've still got plenty of flexibility. We'll talk to these, uh, these guys at the top here, uh, and why I like them and why I don't like them, uh, at, and maybe the current price. So, um, I was kind of sitting pretty, I, I saw Woodland in the mid twenties. I saw Finau at 2022 or sorry, 22, 25 to one Munis and wise were kind of in that 35, 40 range. I would be okay with all those prices. And then, um, I just kind of went over from I went away from my computer for a few hours, came back, and Daniel Berger had drawn, and he was a second favorite. Rama, I believe, opened about five to one, and then Berger opened around twelve or fourteen to one. And when he withdrew, everyone crashed before I could get on him. And now it's been kind of the adjustment of like losing those numbers that I had, and do I want to jump in? Do I have the conviction to jump in on a Woodland at twenty or or a Finau at twenty? Wise at twenty eight now from thirty or thirty five. Munoz at 33. He's kind of stayed there, but there are rumblings about a, uh, a potential back injury for Munoz, which obviously really scares me when you're betting at this number. So, um, yeah, that's kind of been the dilemma I've had. You know, if, if it was if I could have it all over again, I'd probably have at least two of those four on my card. Um, those are the guys I felt the, the best about in terms of course fit and recent form. Um, but, uh, yeah, as it stands, I don't have a single bet underneath 50 to one. So we can uh, we can talk through guys that you or I have questions about. But. Um, if I had to pick one guy right now, it would be Woodland at, uh, I, I'm still seeing 22s out there, which is a solid number. So, uh, if, if we're laying, if we're setting odds on guys that are most likely to be my card, I think Woodland's probably my favorite of, of that range. But like I said, no moves made yet. All right. So I guess we'll just start from the top then. So obviously John Rom is at plus <laughs> yeah, 500 very much, uh, yeah. and, and plus 350 on, on tracking, which is, I don't know if I've ever seen a golf, uh, odd that that low but obviously he's far and away the best talent in the field so um is this could this be a kyle larson 2021 situation where it's like well pack it up (laughs) there's no reason to bet anybody else or are you actually feeling like hey the books are uh the books are willing to not have anybody bet him and and kind of cut their losses a little bit yeah um okay where to start so as far as the books, as far as the books not getting any action on John Rom, I think they will actually get some action on Rombo this week. Uh, for the simple fact that number one, well, I don't know how much how much public money they're gonna be taking. Like, you have to be a real sicko to bet the Mexico Open with uh, John Rom and then no one else in it. But like, if a pub, if someone wants to put a bet on the golf this week, like they're gonna look at the odds board and see John Rom and a bunch of guys that either they never heard of or don't really have a positive stigma about. Like, Finau doesn't have like great public opinion you know he, he just never wins that's uh that's the thing about Finau uh and then you know Woodland you know if they've been paying attention to golf over the last maybe two or three months they might like him but over the course of the last couple of years he hasn't exactly cashed many tickets um answer the hometown kid I just don't think fits this course well so um 
I guess to your point, I mean, it makes a lot of sense for Rom. I mean, everything I laid out, he is he's number five in driving distance. He's number one in strokes getting off the tee. He's number one in proximity over 200 yards. Number one birdies are better gain. Number one strokes gained par five. Number one in all the long par fours. Like it, it sets up really fucking well, which is super scary because I don't bet golfers at five to one. I just don't do it. Um, it's funny you mentioned the three and a half to one on DraftKings. He's currently plus 800 to miss the cut. Think about that. The, the books think he's over two times as likely to win than he is to miss the cut in a full field event. It's insane. Um, and so, I don't know, man. Like, I guess, I mean, number one, he's not really an option for me as far as an outright market. Um, I mean, if you look at his history in weak field events, and we look back at um, you know the Fortinet, his his endeavors over in Europe over the uh, over the fall stretch. We came back to America. He played the Amex. Um, I think there's one more like kind of dud event that he's played and he really hasn't contended any of them. You know, the Amex, he was on the record saying how much of a bullshit putting contest this was and how he hates these birdie fests. I don't anticipate this being a very low score, a hot or yeah, low scoring event. Like these guys are going to make a lot of birdies in this course. Like it's a resort course, despite the length, like this is someone's going to get to 20, 25 under. So Rom's going to have to make some putts and yeah, this isn't exactly like, I think there are guys that can compare to him in terms of the ball striking, uh, that's going to be required in this course. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know if I have to sell many people. I'm not betting a golfer at, five, at three and a half to one to win a fee, in a field of 140 golfers, but that's my case. Yeah, he raised that number one. Sure, can John Rahm win this week? Sure. Do I think he's going to win 22% of the time or whatever the applied odds are? Absolutely not. So um, yeah, Rombo is is off my card uh, obviously this week. Um, and yeah, that's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel. Like- but it's, I feel like we had to at least we had to at least address it. Oh yeah. Um, all right. So the next range, if you wouldn't have made the comment that you don't have any bets under 50 to one, I would have thought that for sure your bet would have come from this range. But yeah, we got Abancer at 18, Woodland yeah. at 18, Finau at 20, Wise at 28, not 28, Patrick Reed at 28. So obviously you're coming into the week. Your your leans were Woodland and Finau. Um, I don't think I realized just how good Woodland has been playing. If you take the two majors out of it, he's got mm-hmm. T8, T21, T5, T5 in the last two months. Um, yeah. which is, is crazy to me, but then kind of the opposite for Finau. So I was kind of interested to hear that you're on Finau because he hasn't finished above T29 in about three months. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess those are the two guys I think your leans were on. So I'll let you talk about those two guys. Yeah. So when you talk about, we'll talk about Finau because Woodland, the case is pretty easy to make. Finau for me um, is really a case of number one course fit. So when I talk about, again, distance uh, off the tee, he is, one of the premier distance mavens in the on the PGA Tour. He's number six in iron play as well over the last 50 rounds. Uh, number four when it comes to these longer approaches. Over 200 yards, he's number four in this field. And then he kills par fives. He kills these long par fours because of his length. So I think for me, I think Finau's an overarching courts fit for this place. And when you look at his, yes, the results haven't been great. When you look at his stats, the ball striking has actually been really good for Finau. So we, we were on him at the Valera. He gained six strokes ball striking. Uh, at Riviera, he gained over five strokes ball striking. Didn't have a right week of the players, but that's never something to really take um, too much into account. In fact, the players is the last time, um, is the only time really since last year's St. Jude. So since last August, he's gained on approach in every single event except for the Players' Championship, uh, which was a few weeks ago. So Finau's ball strikes have been great. Really, the thing that sunk him has been a short game. And he has lost strokes around the green in, I believe that's eight straight events, seven straight events. Uh, Masters, Valero, Players, Genesis, Phoenix, Farmers, and the MX. He's lost strokes around the greens uh, in all seven of those events. Um, but you know what I talk? And 
But if there's ever a time to get that right, like it's on these past Palom services, like number one, the greens are going to be pretty easy to hit from what I can tell. And number two, like I said, even Victor Hovland can can chip on past Palom. So I do feel like Finau, his biggest weakness um, is kind of mitigated here. And like I said, like he he's very much the class of this field. When you look at like world golf rankings, like I think he's number either two or three. I, don't, I think he's behind answer. Um, but yeah, it's Rom answer Finau as far as the the world the kind of the world golf rankings and kind of his status in the game. So to give him at 20 to one in a field like this does feel like a bit of a bargain, uh, considering, you know, there were times where I was betting at 25 to one to win like the biggest events in the, in the world. So I don't think the, the results have kind of told the whole story. I think the underlying stats are a bit better than you would think. Um, but yeah, it, it is kind of tough to, um, to go to 20 to one, um, just in a field like this woodland for me, I think, yeah, like I said, the, the, the case kind of makes itself. Woodland's irons are absolutely back. It feels like Gary Woodland is is kind of back to being the guy that was a top 10, top 15 player in the world uh, for all those years. The last three starts, uh, out, well, outside of Augusta, um, the last five starts, 6.1 strokes scan and approach, 4.5 strokes scan and approach, 0. 0.3, 3.9, 2.1. Um, that puts him at uh, eighth in total approach over his last 50 rounds, seventh in driving distance, 12th in proximity from 200 plus yards. 13 birds are better gained, third and strokes gained par fives. I think it all kind of lines up for Gary. Um, I was really hoping, like much like Adam Scott, who was another one of my breakout kind of candidates this year, I was kind of hoping to get Gary at like a bigger number in a bigger event um, and kind of hitting like a 40 or 50 to one on him. Books have kind of caught up and the, the field strength doesn't help matters. But if I did have a one and done play or a guy I'm most bullish on, it's definitely Gary. I, I think he's got the distance. He's got the long iron play. He's actually been putting pretty well. Over the excuse me, over the last uh, few weeks as well. So, yeah, Woodland Finau and I like Aaron Wise as well. If we want to go into this twenty-eight to one range, uh, Wise to me, um, yeah, is very similar to both those guys. We're gonna kind of go over the same stats. Like I said, I'm pretty much narrowing my focus this week. If you're good off the, if you're long off the tee and can hit long irons, uh, you're in play for me this week. So yeah, Aaron Wise is top ten um, in both driving uh, strokes gain off the tee and uh, strokes gain approach in this key proximity range I've been talking about. Um, birds are better gained. He's 11th strokes gained par five. He's seventh. And we've seen him kind of pop up at these coastal courses. He's came second at my Coba. Uh, he, he flashed last uh, time we saw him with RBC heritage. And so, yeah, I, I like Aaron wise when it comes to, uh, to these type of events. So like I said, if I had to power rank them, I would go woodland female wise, but you know, maybe the price break on wise would be enough for me to push the button. But, um, yeah, certainly those, those three names answer is not long enough for this course for me, at least. Certainly home soil kid. Uh, you want to see him do well, but I just don't like the course fit, especially at 18 to one. No, thank you. Um, Kevin Na, kind of the same thing, kind of has a plotting game, uh, short off the tee, good iron player and good putter. But again, the lack of length is what kind of gets me off of him this week. And then Patrick Reed. Uh, yeah, you're, you're joking. We're not betting Patrick Reed at 21. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I just like I mean, if you want to I would I don't do matchups. Uh, I don't really post matchups as far as like uh, on the on the week to week card. But certainly if you're looking for a guy to pick on at the top of this board. Uh, yeah. Give me Trangali of a read. Give me Nava read. Obviously, wise Finau answer and Woodland. Um, yeah, I don't I don't understand why he's 20 to one outside of he's won in Mexico once like four years ago. Yeah, I think one of these days I'm going to force your hand. I'm going to say like, all right, Ian, you're only allowed uh, five units on outrights and 10 on props. Kind of similar to my model. We're just going to see what see what you come up with. <laughs> yeah, let's. Yeah, well, it's been a bit of a cold stretch since the back-to-back -back in Florida. So, uh, a couple more weeks, uh, you know, with no one on Sunday, then you know, you could probably uh, 
get my air a little bit after that. But right now, you know, there are some guys I'm intrigued by down the board. So we'll uh, we'll take a few punts this week and see what happens. All right. So speaking of punts, we need to we need to work our way down the board because we haven't even gotten to a guy that you've bet yet. So um, <laughs> I'm going to kind of skip some names. I'm just going to kind of call some names that I think you're interested in. So uh, I think Sebastian Munoz at 33 to 1 is one of those guys. Cam Champ at 40. Um, I've seen some buzz on Matt Jones. I don't think he's probably one of your guys, but I have seen buzz on him at 40 to 1. Mm-hmm. Davis Riley came off a really good week uh, last week, uh, partnered up with our boy Willie Z. Yep. Um, Aaron Rye at 50, I think, is always interesting. You mentioned Carl Satiz. You know, Abraham Answer got the bump for for being the hometown guy, but Carl Satiz is being slept on a little bit. Yep. Um, yeah, I think that's what I have for this range. I'm hoping that a few of those names are some of those guys that you have tabbed out. Yes, yeah, so you you've uh, you've officially got your first hit of uh, of the episode here so far as far as my bets. So uh, I did bet Cameron Champ. I got him at 55 to one. I would still hit a 50 or 40. Uh, I I think he's one of my kind of strongest leads this week. I'm not alone in this. Uh, when you talk about distance, when you talk about long iron play, um, yeah, Champ is an article for me in terms of this fit. So um, yeah, the course fit's undeniable. He came into he comes into this event off a T10 at the Masters. Uh, where he had um, not where he had 6.76 strokes gained ball striking. Um, now, if you look at Cameron Champ, like if you follow PJ Tour week to week, he's not really a guy that pops up all that often. But when he does, he does tend to go on runs. So we talked about his last win last week or last year at a 3M, another kind of longer course. You hit driver a lot, a lot of water to keep away from. Um, so kind of a bit of a correlator there with um, TBC Twin Cities uh, to this course here. Uh, but obviously one at um, at the 3M last year, the week before finished 11th at John Deere and gained 6.5 strokes ball striking. You go, you scroll down to what was next win uh, at the Fortinet Championship at Silverado in 2019. Uh, the week before, one or not didn't win at the Sanderson, finished 28th at the Sanderson Farms, but gained 5.5 strokes ball striking. Scroll down to his uh, his first win on the PGA Tour. He won the Sanderson Farms in 2018. Week before at the Fortinet, finished 25th, gained 6.2 strokes ball striking. So you you can kind of see that one-week trend before he starts to get hot. Um, yeah, is he the safest play? Like, absolutely not. Like, I wouldn't exactly, like, be betting him, like, minus 150 to make the cut or anything like that. But we did see the ball striking the Masters. Obviously, his game is tailor-made for long iron plus driving. He is the longest player in this field. Uh, he is the only player in this field outside of Munoz that rates inside the top 10 and both 175 to 200 and 200 plus. He's eighth and third in both those metrics. Obviously destroys the par fives. He's top 10 in par five scoring and par five scoring from 600 to 650 yards, which three of those uh, par fives I mentioned earlier are a part of. And he's number eight in terms of par four scoring over 500 yards. So again, when, it, when you have to carry the ball a long way, when you have to at least long irons, um, that's where Champ excels. He's got, he's not a perfect player. He's a very flawed player. Uh, particularly the short game has been letting them down as of recently, but like I said, I think he's got all the ingredients that it takes uh, to kind of take this place apart. So, yeah, Champ for me, he was the guy that really stuck out upon my initial research. And I saw the 55 to 1 early on in the process. So that is my first click uh, of the week. If you want to kind of go, like you said, um, the other guy that really caught my attention was was Carlos Ortiz. Um, I see a 50 to 1 on him. I've seen him around 55, 60 as well, kind of the similar price range as Champ. Um, again, you talked about the, the kind of, I'm sorry. The, the bump that Ames has gotten for, for being here on home soil. Uh, and I completely agree with you. Like Ortiz is a little bit undervalued just in terms of this field. Uh, now the recent form hasn't been all that good. He's coming off four straight missed cuts. Um, but when you look at Ortiz's overarching skill set, it should fill this place to a T again, sneaky long off the tee, top 20 driving distance, uh, great long iron play and a really impressive track record on past Palom. 
Um, he's got the hometown support office this week. I believe this is actually his home event. Like answer is a kind of a Texas, um, like he was either born in Texas or born just across the border. I know he, he actually spoke English from an early age, but Ortiz is from around this area. Um, and when you talk about his kind of history of rising to the occasion in his home country, last three starts at Mayakoba on fast Palin, by the way, second, eighth and second. So it's clear he has cover on the service. I think the, the ball striking stats, um, even though they're not great in the short term, I think if you can figure it out in a place he's comfortable with, uh, his game does suit this place really well. So again, a bit of a punt, a bit of a kind of a speculation there, because obviously he could just carry his bad form uh, into this event. But I think if you get the best of Carlos Ortiz, he's certainly capable of winning this event. Um, yeah, without a doubt. Munoz, like I what's, like I kind of mentioned earlier, he's 33 to one, which is super a super really it's a, it's a disgusting price really to pay for Sebastian Munoz. Uh, add that to the fact that I have heard her own rumblings of the back injury. Um, it's going to, it's going to keep me off on this week. I'd rather go to Woodland. I'd rather go to Wise. I'd rather go to Fiena in the twenties. Um, but the reason I was on him, I mean, he, the, the dude is absolutely striping the ball with his irons right now. He's first, he's actually leads the field from 175 to 200 and seventh from 200 plus seventh and birdies are better gains and second par four scoring from 450 to 500. So wouldn't surprise me at all to see Munoz play well. He hasn't won since 2018. So the win equity kind of leaves a lot to be desired, uh, when you're betting him at 33 to one, but yeah. I have no problem with Munoz, um, with a Munoz bet, assuming you can kind of get over the back injury. Uh, Riley, for me, I'm just going to be kind of continue to be lower than consensus on Davis Riley. Um, yeah, he's a really good driver of the golf ball, which I like this week, but the iron play really is is just not where I like it to be uh, on guys I tout. Um, he's outside the top 75 in both my key proximity ranges. He's a solid putter, um, has middling history on past Palum, so... I just think he's a bit of a one-trick pony, and he might flash if the putter flashes, but he's not a guy, until the irons turn around, that I'm going to be betting very much at all, uh, despite the kind of the high finishes here we've seen recently. Um, and yeah, that's that's pretty much all I've got for this range. Like I said, it's it's filled with a lot of guys that are usually like 80 to 100 to 1, and now you're asking me to bet him at 33. I understand the field strength sucks, but like I said, there's a lot of guys down the board that I think have very comparable skill sets or, um, or even better setups to, to play well this week. Uh, so yeah, so quick pivot real quick. <laughs> I just happened to do a uh, Google image search of this course. Does this course have lights? I mean, can we play this like at night? That'd be freaking cool. I actually don't know. And I I saw the course, like the satellite images. So I don't know if there's actually lights, but that's good to know in case that, uh, you know, in case we get some rain in the forecast, we can maybe postpone it from some, for some primetime golf. That'd be pretty rad. Look at this. Interesting. So, okay, that looks what that looks like. That looks like the executive course, so the short little par three course. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I don't think they have lighting on the actual like 7400 yard course, but a lot of like these resorts have like a little mini course that they have that you can maybe go out and play at night. Little family course. A lot of like wedges in like little par threes that you can play. So that's more what that looks like. I don't think. Uh, I don't think we're in for any primetime golf. Although, like to your point, that'd be awesome to to see uh, golf under the lights. Maybe some tracer rounds out there, get those like glowing golf balls. But yeah, that's what I'm saying we, that is being an event at some point. That'd be that'd be cool. I'd actually I'd like to play in that. That'd be cool. Yeah, that's I mean, something I've never done is play at night. Um, maybe we can uh, we can hit up. I, I don't know if this is uh this is not really kosher in the golf world right now, but hit up Greg Norman for a little for a little uh, innovation in, in the golf world. Maybe his Saudi league can, uh, I know there's like, that's really big in the middle East because um, obviously it's so damn hot during the daytime. So a lot of courses are open at night and they have floodlights. 
Um, I see a lot of YouTube, like all the golf YouTubers that go over to Dubai and whatnot, they play night golf. Um, and so, yeah, maybe they can make that happen on uh, some of the courses over there. But yeah, PGA Tour, I don't see that happening anytime soon. They should. Can you imagine like primetime golf under the lights or even like glow in the dark golf? That'd be cool, too. It's a little yeah, off the wall, probably. <laughs> I think these guys are a little bit too, uh, I don't know. There's a little bit too much on the line to to put that into play. But yeah, right. I'm with I'm on your side, but I just don't Saudi, see. Saudi, there's the play. There's the play for Saudi Golf League. There they, there they go. Convince all the guys that want to play glow in the dark golf. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think for some of the guys they're drawing, if you pay enough money, they'll do whatever they want. So or whatever you like to do. All right, so I'm going to cheat here because you did send us a, a, a short list uh, on Sunday night or Monday morning, um, and we need to hit some guys further down. So I know, from your, from, I know from your short list, you had Alex Smalley, Austin Smotherman, Joseph Bramlett, Kurt Kidiana, and Danny Lee as your short list. Um, I'm seeing these guys priced at, let's see, Smalley's at 80, Smotherman's at 80, uh, Bramlett, where are you at? I am not seeing him on my screen. Oh, he's deeper. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Yep. Um, Kurt Kitayama. I saw his name a second ago. I know I lost it. This is not great for the viewers. 100 to 1. And Danny Lee. 150 as well. If last time I checked, at least. Maybe not, actually. Has he gone down? I can't find I can't find him at all. He's 100. Okay, Danny Lee's 100 to 1. But oh, I yeah, there he is. I bet Danny Lee. You hit three of the ones I've bet, but you, but I did not bet Danny Lee, at least not yet. Uh, so, yeah, as it stands, you know me. I, I typically keep it within, like, 15 to 18 on a given week as far as units. I'm only at five right now. Like, um, uh, So, yeah, there's there's still plenty to be decided uh, these next couple weeks or these next couple of nights. Maybe we have some live ads lined up, although I don't think shot length will be in play this week, which is a real bummer. So we won't be getting live strokes gain data, which is usually what I use for a lot of my live ads. So, uh, yeah, again, a lot up in the air, but three names I have clicked. They're confirmed on the card. Uh, we will start uh, with the lowest guy, Alex Smalley. Uh, 80 to 1 now. I like that number. I got him at 100 to 1. But, uh, yeah, Smalley's a guy I'm super bullish on. He's a Duke kid. Uh, we backed him at the Wyndham and the John Deere uh, where he's had two good weeks. So, Smalley, an elite driver of the golf ball, both, both in terms of distance and accuracy. He's top 20 in both those measures for me this week. Number 11 in total strokes gain off the tee. Um, again, 19th in distance. And then we talk about long iron play uh, inside the top 25 for both my key proximity ranges. So 20th uh, in 175 to 200, 23rd in 200 plus. And when you look at his long distance par five and par four scoring inside the top 20 as well. So he, he rates out really, really well for this golf course. Um, and he has actually really, really good history at some complicated courses. So at Corral Spudicana, the uh, course in the Dominican Republic, uh, also best Palm, over 7,400 yards as well. Three starts in his three years on tour, or three years he's played it. Uh, second, 22nd, and 14th on these past Palm services. So he, he is a bit of a specialist when it comes to these island resort courses. Um, and he's been trending pretty well. Like, I, I like the ball striking numbers I've been seeing from him. Um, and so, yeah, he, like I said, it's not really an in-depth uh, process for me this week. It really can't be, just considering we have such um little go off this off this week but everything that i like i like to see out of guys this week uh smalley possesses so for me great long iron player great driver i'm all in on smalley uh we'll move on to joey bramlett i got it 150 to 1 uh he is number 10 in my model this week he is kind of the poor man's camera champ so everything i said about champ uh applies to bramlett he's number two in driving distance in this field uh he's actually number five in total strokes gain approach which really surprised me he popped up a little bit harbor town um, he too has had some success on these past palm services. 
with a ninth place finish in Puerto Rico, a 28th in Puerto Rico, also a 13th in Corrales this past year. So again, Bramlett is a guy, long iron play, distance off the tee. That's all it really takes for me to click the, your name at 150 to one uh, in some good recent form. And then you, when, you look, when you look at Kurt Kitayama, um, I got him at 125 to one. But again, it's, it's, it's going to be very much an iteration. He is number 20 in driving distance, number four in uh, strokes or in proximity from 175 to 200, and number 14 in proximity from 200 plus. So those are kind of the three guys I really zoned in on when it came to long shots um, that can hit it far off the tee and can hit their long irons well. So that's, again, um, there's a lot of variance with these guys obviously down the board. I don't have to tell you all that. Like, it's, it's not uh, likely that they're going to win, but I do think they possess the tools it takes to have some success here. Um, Smotherman is a guy that I, I do really like. I'm tempted to click the 80. Um, but again, it's like, it makes, it sounds stupid that it's like, it's tough to click guy 80 to one. Uh, but he's very much in the same uh, realm as all them. Top 20, uh, number 18 in driving distance, 11th uh, from 175, 205th from 200 plus also third and par five scoring. So yeah, Smotherman, Bramlett's, um, Smalley, Kitayama, all guys that I like a lot. Danny Lee is a really good long iron player as well. That's kind of why he was in that list for me. Um, but yeah, I do like Smotherman quite a bit this week uh, in terms of that goes. If we want to go really far down the board, because I know we're running a little bit low on time, um, I actually like Jared Wolf. And I want you to go ahead and find Jared Wolf on uh, on the outright market. If, if you yeah. uh, don't I was mind. also going to say that could be like a segment of like, hey, you can name three golfers and it's like, hey, name the one that's not actually a golfer. And I probably would have picked Jared Wolf. Or Wolf. Well, I don't even remember what you just said. I think I just mispronounced it. No, no, that's that's right. It's Jared Wolf. Oh, 500 uh, of one. Here it is at the very bottom. <laughs> well, yeah. not the very bottom, but almost very bottom. Pretty much as deep as you can go on this board. He he rates out top 30 in my model this week. Again, and all the key stats I'm looking at. Par 5 scoring, he's 24th. Uh, proximity from 200 plus, 28th. Proximity from 175 to 215th. And driving his is 23rd. He, he popped up a little bit at the Valero. Um gained uh, 1.9 on approach, 2.6 putting at the Valero. And when you look at kind of, and he does have a, a top 20 or top 30, I'm sorry, earlier this year at Puerto Rico at Cocoa Beach. So finished 28th there, gained over five strokes to the field. So again, 500 to one, like why not? I'll probably throw like five bucks on it and uh, and let it be for that. But I am I am kind of considering if, if I can find like a decent prop, a little top 20 or top 40 on him. Uh, that's a guy I'd be very, very interested in when it comes down to that. So yeah, I feel like we've kind of went over the names that I, I'm I'm circling. We'll see how many I end up getting to. Um, but yeah, gonna try to keep it pretty simple this week and and go after our skill set and see if uh, see if we can't just spike uh, you know one of these guys that that shows the tools I I think it'll take. I was trying to look up Jared Wolf's top twenty and top forty. Okay, so you can get him top twenty plus seven hundred, top forty plus two seventy five. Oh, there is top forty. Yeah. That might be a bet. I might be betting Jared Wolf top 40 uh, plus 275. Because I did see a top 20 earlier and it was plus 900. So it's, it's catching some steam. The Wolf man catches some steam. So I'm not the only one. That makes me a little happy that uh, <laughs> that maybe he's uh, he's in play for more than just me this week. But yeah, that's that's my like deep, deep sleeper. If you need a min price guy on DraftKings or want to throw a fun little 500 to 1 punt and, uh, and watch it go down in flames, Jared Wolf's your guy. <laughs> All right, so one uh, last question here. One thing I feel like we've never covered on on your golf segment here is um, that seems to be very popular in the Twitter world is first round leader. Have you ever dove into that at all? I never have. Um, so 
I understand why people like it. Like it's a, it's like, it's a really cool one day sweat and like long shots are much more prevalent there. Like it's very easy. It's not very, but it's easier for a guy obviously to lead after 18 holes versus leading after 72 holes. Um, so yeah, I, I do see the appeal. Um, and people go really deep into it. They go into like first round scoring averages and stuff like that. I just think it's so random. Um, and you know, it's not something I've ever been drawn to like really investing a ton of money in. I guess it's a really low investment kind of kind of uh kind of prop, but yeah, I mean I, I, I see the appeal of it. I just I don't know. I like finding the winner. That's that's kind of what yeah, I yeah. what I have and, and I feel like, you know, you have those four rounds, variance kinda equalizes a little bit. Um but yeah, it's like the ultimate like Thursday afternoon degenerate bet. Like let me just throw like you know, three guys at 101 on my card and see what happens. So there are guys that are amazing at it. I've seen uh, a guys, I believe his name's Jeff on Twitter, Jeff MC, like 88, I believe um, on Twitter. He, he does a lot of the first round leader stuff. I know uh, the model maniac does some first round leader stuff, PJ tout. So there are guys that, that really specialize in that for me. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of conservative when it comes to my units. I, I don't really like splashing around too much. I like doing the outrights. I'll, I'll throw some top 40s in there, some top 20s, some matchups maybe. Um, but, yeah, I'm a little bit behind the ball when it comes to the first-round leader research. So I'd rather just leave it to the pros, and um, I'll worry about trying to spike my Kirk Kiyama 125-1 to on Sunday. <laughs> no, totally fair. Totally fair. I, the only reason I was bringing it up is because, obviously, it's very popular in Twitter, the Twitter spaces, it seems like. And then uh, when I was scrolling down to find the top 20 leaderboard, I just happened to scroll by the first-round leaderboard. Yeah. And John Rums at 16-1, to so, like, you put a unit, you put that a unit on that, and it pays for your whole weekend. <laughs> yeah, don't tempt me, brother. But yeah, I, I get, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. No, it's like it's the ultimate like Thursday flex. When when I'm sitting here like sweating my like my uh, I don't know Joseph Bramlett like fifth place with like 50 rolls to go. Like this guy's already cashed like an 80 to one ticket on whoever the first round leader was. So certainly, um, I don't know if this place. I mean, maybe this place is the place to do it because. I do tend to like a lot of long shots, and like I said, they're probably more they're more likely to lead after 18 holes than you would think after 54 after 72. So, um, yeah, maybe if I've got some spare change laying around, if these NBA bets I'm uh, I'm sweating right now go to go to plan, then <laughs> then maybe uh, maybe we can throw some uh, some coins around, some tips around on uh, on a few first round leader long shots. But yeah, on a normal week, I, I'm I'm much more apt to go into the placement market and into matchups than I would be uh, into that. All right, so I guess with that being said, do you want to uh, lay out what your card is right now, and then maybe lay out what a what your potentially what your, I guess your early leans are, even after talking through this, of what you might be going to add back onto this? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So my my card won't take long. I have Cameron Champ at fifty five to one for two units. I have Alex Smalley at one hundred to one for one point two five units. Kurt Kitayama at one twenty five for a single unit. And then Joseph Bramlett, 151 for three quarters of a unit, which all adds up to five units to win about 112. Um, like I said, I've got about 10 to 12 to play with, uh, depending on kind of what I'm feeling. At the top of the power rankings, it's Woodlands, it's Ortiz, and then maybe one of Wiser Finau. That's kind of where I'm at right now. I don't think I'm going to dip too far into the, into like the long shots because I don't want to have a card of like eight long shots and then they all miss the cut. Uh, I do kind of want to go to the top of the board a little bit because I do have some some pretty strong leans up there. I like the guys I'm, I have at 101 plus, so uh, it's very easy to kind of just keep clicking 101s until you're out of out of money for the week. So I'm trying not to do that. Um, 
And so, yeah, I, I like Woodland. He Again, he's my number one talent this week, so it'd be kind of stupid for me not to bet him. Um, and the Woodland Ortiz, female-wise, those will probably be kind of the conglomerate of guys that I'll, uh, I'll be deciding for at the very end here. Yeah, so my, my initial guess uh, by the time we get to Thursday is I'm guessing six units on Woodland and four <laughs> on Aaron Wise. There it is. Finish out the card. Yeah, you, yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty good bet, my man. That's a pretty good bet. <laughs> even I don't know right now. We'll 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 see if we can. Can't have a little Eureka moment here down the stretch, but like I said, it could be a week honestly that I, I keep it pretty light and maybe try to catch uh, some live ads even without shot link, just kind of being diligent in the uh, you know in the live scoring and seeing you know how these guys start out. Because um, you never know. Because um, there are guys I have certainly leans on. The only thing keeping me away is. Gary Woodland at 25 to one or 20 to one. Um, but I mean, we did beat him at 35 at Valero. So, and that field was a lot stronger. So I'm kind of talking myself as, as things go along and end up clicking the button this week and uh, tonight, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Again, the call will be posted on Twitter uh, at the very latest, maybe tomorrow dinner time. Like that's usually five o'clock Wednesday is the latest I'll ever leave it. Um, and if I don't make a decision, then we'll just wait until in tournament. And if we don't want to do anything live, then we'll just uh, keep it pretty light and see if we can't spike a little long shot winner. Um, try to keep things fun this week. Try to keep these light in Mexico. Again, uh, we got some big events coming up. So uh, saving saving a little bit of the budget is never a bad thing. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, with that being said, we will uh, close out for the week. Um, obviously, we have the Mexico Open and then we got Dover on Sunday. So with that being said, we hope to be talking to you guys with another outright uh play-by-play to lead out the podcast even though we do love our intro by nick but we love to hear the outright winners too so with that being said guys we will uh we'll see you next week all right peace out guys